My name is Jordan. I'm on staff here as the college ministry pastor. I have a picture of my family so you can say, aw. Um, so that's my wife, Ellie. We've been married five and a half years. On my lap is Blaze. He is three. On Ellie's lap is Leo. He is two. And in between Ellie's lap is baby number three, who is coming very soon. Uh, Ellie actually told me, Monday, you know, we had that tornado warning thing. We're sitting in the basement. She's like, yeah, I meant to tell you, I think I'm going to go into labor Thursday night while you're preaching. I'm like, great, this is awesome. So uh, I prepared a shorter sermon. That's great. Uh, but though, though you look at that picture and you're like, man, this dude has to be a lot older than he looks. I'm not that old. All right. And it wasn't long ago that I was in college. I was in your seats. And I just think back to what my life was like when I was at Iowa State. And specifically thinking about my junior year, okay, here's, here's just a quick flyover of my schedule. I was taking 19 credit hours because I had transferred and I was like, your boy is not going to college for five years. All right, I still need to graduate in four, so packed my schedule. I was interning with Iowa State Strength Conditioning 15 hours a week, trying to build a resume. I was also broke as a joke, so I was working 20 hours a week just to try and like make ends meet. Uh, provide an income, and, and I started to just think like, where's, where's the time for fun, or where's the time for me to like go to the gym, or how am I gonna help take care of my parents who were both sick? My dad had just been diagnosed with cancer. Just juggling all these things, and I remember at work one day, I had a coworker tell me, Jordan, here's the deal. You got a lot on your plate, and you can do a few of those things, but you can't do them all. Any of you guys relate to that? Just like a lot on your plate, a lot competing for your time and your attention. I mean, the common theme or thread, if I were to just bump into one of you guys at Target, best store of all times, I'd say, how's it going? You would say, I'm busy. And I'd be like, yeah, aren't we all? Like, you have a lot competing for your time and attention. And one of the byproducts of that is you become stressed. You become overwhelmed. And the restaurant industry is actually figuring this out. How many of you guys have been to Cheesecake Factory before? Some of you, okay. Their menu is outrageous. Like, spiral notebook menu, over 250 items. And if you start to think about, what am I gonna order? There's so many good options. It's, it's hard to come up with a conclusion, but then there's this, this place called Raisin Cane's. Ever been there? Okay, it's coming to Cedar Rapids. Don't get me wrong, I'm Christian, I love Chick-fil-A. But, Raisin Cane's, you're never gonna be stressed in their drive-thru because guess what you're gonna order? Chicken fingers, it's all they got. And if most of us are honest with ourselves, we want a Raisin Cane's type experience. It's like, man, I'm stressed, just tell me the one thing that I need to do. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to make a choice between 250 items. I just want someone to tell me, this is what you're supposed to do. And so, the question I want us to ask tonight is like, if God told you there is one thing that you needed to do, would you want to know what it is? And I think the answer is, you do want to know what it is. And the good news is, he has told us. He has told us the one thing we need to do. So one thing we do every week here at Salt Company is we open up this book called The Bible. 
All right, we believe this is God's word. He has spoken to us today. And over the course of the semester, you're gonna hear from a variety of different voices that have come, will come up on the stage and they will do this. They will open their Bible. Because what you do not need to hear are people's opinions or preferences. Because if God has spoken, and he has, and we have his word at our fingertips, like I would much rather just say, guys, this is what God has told you. Not what Jordan has told you. So, if you have a physical Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. All right, Gospel of Luke. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Use your <clears throat> table of contents if you need it. It's the third book of the New Testament. If you're kind of flipping through and you're in Psalms, keep going. If you hit Acts, Romans, you've gone too far. Luke is where we're at. And... I said, you know, the gospel of Luke, or the gospel according to Luke, the word gospel means good news. So it's the good news according to Luke, and Luke was a friend and follower of Jesus, and he has put together, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, has penned this account of Jesus' life for us to look at and learn more about who God is, what he says about us, and what we do with all of it. So we're going to be in chapter 10, chapter 10 of Luke, and if you're picking up in the middle of the story, you kind of need to know what's happened so far. So quick flyover, first nine chapters, Jesus is God, he has put on flesh, he has come to earth, has this miraculous birth by way of the Virgin Mary, and you see him pretty quickly in the story grow up into a young man. But he's not just any ordinary young man. Like, it's very evident that this is God. Like, he is fully man and fully God. He starts teaching with authority. Crowds start coming to him. He's healing people with his touch, with his word, even to the point that this mom is walking with her dead son, and Jesus speaks to him, and he comes back to life. And then you keep reading, and it's like, you know, Jesus' homies are out on the sea, and he's like, why are you guys so afraid? And he speaks to the winds and the wave, and the sea becomes calm. And then he comes to the shore, and people are hungry, and they're like, Jesus, what are we going to do? He's like, what do we got? Five loaves, two fish. I'm going to feed more than 5,000 people. Clearly, this is the Son of God. He's gained quite a following. And when we get to, to Luke 10, we see Jesus is now traveling kind of with with his posse of followers. We're gonna start in verse 38. It'll be up on the screen for you to follow along with us. The word of God says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. All right, this doesn't need a lot of explanation. Even if you are not familiar with the Bible, this is just a true story, and I'm gonna just kind of peel back the layers a little bit, all right? Jesus shows up to this town. It's known as Bethany. It's a couple-mile journey. Shows up to Martha and Mary's house. And we see a contrast happening here, and it's, it's on, the, on the topic of hospitality. Now, hospitality, even in our culture today, it's like, oh, it's a nice thing, but 
in ancient Mediterranean culture, it was huge. It was of great importance. If you were even just to go back to the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus has sent out 72 of his followers, and he tells them this, go proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, and here's who you need to look for. People that practice hospitality. People that welcome you into their home. So Jesus is telling them, like, look for people that practice hospitality. Now, he shows up to Bethany, and what happens, right? You have Martha, welcome him into her house. And instantly, she just gets to work, right? She's serving. She's probably whipping up a meal for Jesus, doing whatever she can. But then her sister is just sitting, just sitting and listening to Jesus talk. Now, how many of you in here are the oldest sibling? Any of you? You are the worst, okay? I'm just going to tell you. I'm not your friend. No. Um, you figure out that Martha is the oldest sister here, number one, because it says that it was her house, but number two, because she's a tattletale, right? She, like, she runs to Jesus, and she's like, hey, don't you see what my little sister's doing? Like, don't you see that she's just being lazy? Tell her to get back to work. And then we got to see what Jesus says. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There is so much that I could unpack just in these two verses. But I just wanna make a few quick observations here tonight, all right? The first is this, Jesus is not condemning Martha for working. Clearly, hospitality is a good thing. Jesus just taught about that earlier in the passage. He is not so concerned about Martha's work, but he is concerned about her worry. You see that, he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He, he does not just see her external performance. He doesn't just see the good things that she's doing. He sees what's going on in her heart. And he sees that she is so concerned about trying to measure up or meet a standard for Jesus that she is anxious and troubled. And then the second thing we see is that it's maybe less about calling Martha's activity as bad and more that Mary's activity is better. Right, like serving Jesus, this isn't a matter of right or wrong. This isn't like good or bad. But what he is saying is, Martha, you're doing something that, yeah, maybe you should do, but Mary is doing what is necessary. She is doing what she needs to do. There's a big difference there. And when you think about the one thing that Mary needed to do was literally just sit down and listen to Jesus talk? That seems outrageous to me, right? Just imagine, okay? It's tomorrow night, five o'clock, you're probably in your sweatpants already, and if you're not, what's wrong with you, okay? It's 5 p.m., you're hanging out in your living room, and you hear, and you're like, who the heck is at my house? You go and you open the door, and it is the God of the universe, 
right? This guy who has just raised people from the dead and fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and he says, can I come into your house? What do you think you're gonna do? If you're anything like me, you're freaking out, right? It's like, man, I wanna fall down on my feet. I wanna like, you know, take his shoes off for him. If he has a coat, like, let me hang your coat up. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Let me just do something for you. You would honestly, if you're being real with yourself, if God shows up to your house, and if he told you, what's the one thing you think you ought to do right now? You're probably gonna say, do something for you. I need to do something for you. I need to take care of you. I need to be hospitable. But that's not the God we serve, Salt Company. That's not the message of Christianity. It's not work really hard and do something for God. Right? Jesus, at the end of our day, does not want us to come to him and say, Jesus, here is everything I did for you. No, the good news of the gospel is, Jesus, thank you for what you have done for me. You see, the reality is we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He is holy, we are not. He is perfect, we are not. And so this idea of being Martha and working and striving and just trying to measure up or meet a standard, it leaves us anxious on purpose because we were never meant for that. We were never meant to strive and measure up because here's what's true. I already told you, the beginning of Luke is that God came down. He put on flesh. It's not about us going up to him, but him coming down to us. That Jesus would put on flesh, that he would live perfectly, that he would die in our place, and that he wouldn't stay dead, but that he would defeat sin, death, and Satan by rising again himself. When you look at this passage and you understand that the one person who has said, good job, you're doing what you're supposed to do, what has she done? She has received. She has not earned. Jesus is trying to communicate to Martha and to Mary and to us that he did not come for you to work your way to him. He came to give you the gift of salvation, to know Jesus. And Salt Company, I am telling you, from a 30,000 foot level, like zoom out, look at your life. The one thing that is important for you in this entire life is for you to know Jesus. It's not for you to get a job, to grow a family, to accomplish something great, right? To have statues built or things named after you. That is not the point. The point is for you to know the God of the universe. So it's time for us to stop trying to earn everything and to just sit back and recognize, God, it's not about what I can do for you, but what you've done for me. Because here's what's true. He tells Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Everything else in this life can be taken away from you. Okay, resumes, Bank accounts, trophies, and toys, they are not gonna last beyond the grave. They are all gonna burn up and be destroyed. But your relationship with Jesus will last forever. And what you do with Jesus matters. So now is the time to start saying, wow, I should probably take that seriously. 
But I want to get practical, too, and just say, not, not just 30,000 foot level, but like, let's put our, our boots on the ground and say, okay, this semester, this week, tomorrow, even, there are countless things that you could do, right? There's countless things you could do. And there's several things that, honestly, you should do. Like, if you're a student, you should go to class. If you're an employee and you're scheduled for your shift, you should go to work. But there's only one thing that you must do. There's only one thing that is deemed necessary, which means you need to do it. And it's the same thing. You need to know Jesus. Yes, several things you could do in your life. Several things that you should do in your life, but one thing that you need, and it is to be close to Jesus. Because I just want to shoot you guys straight. Everything that you're actually looking for in life, Jesus has already satisfied. If you don't believe me, I'm just going to shoot off some verses for you. I'm not going to put them on the screen. I'm just going to Tell, I'm just going to read these over you, okay? You're looking for rest. Matthew 11:28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You're looking for joy. John 15, 11. Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You're looking for love or belonging. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, that we belong to the God of the universe. You're looking for worth. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. That Jesus would pay the price, the ultimate price, the Son of God would pour out his blood for you. And lastly, purpose, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us that God wants to make himself known to humanity through you and me. What greater purpose than to let people encounter the God of the universe? Whatever you're after, I'm telling you, you are after Jesus. And one of the reasons that I am so drawn to college ministry is because it took me three years of college to figure this out. I already told you where I was junior year of college, right? working and, and building my resume and striving for relationships and wanting a girlfriend and looking for the party scene and all of these things. And then my dad gets diagnosed with cancer and I drive home and I get fired from my internship and my world starts falling apart. And I have a friend that just says, hey, we're going to this worship gathering. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, got nothing to lose right? I wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but I was just like, whatever, you know, cute girl invites me to church. Sounds all right. Maybe that's some of you tonight. I don't know. But I walked in and I heard a teaching on Matthew 6, which I'm not going to read all of it for you, but look back at it later. Okay. Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and he's like, why are you so anxious? 
Why are you so worried? Like, take a look around. Don't you see, like, the birds and the flowers? Don't you see how, like, nothing happens that's outside of my control? And if I can take care of birds and I, t- I can take care of flowers, and yet the hairs on your head are numbered, how much more valuable are you than they? And then he says this in Matthew 6, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. And I was struck to the heart. I said, wow, I am so anxious. I am so troubled. I am so worried about all of these things. And here's why. I am not seeking first the kingdom of God. I don't think I was even seeking 10th the kingdom of God, but his command is seek first. Just like in our text tonight, it's like one thing, one thing is necessary to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to his teaching, to be near to Jesus. And I just want to tell you, this is both an invite and a challenge. And I say it's an invite because if you are coming in this room tonight and you're like, I don't think God would want anything to do with me, I'm telling you, if he can save me and transform my life, I am confident he can save you and transform your life. Because Ephesians 2 says that Jesus actually came and lived and died and rose again while you were dead in your sins, while you were an enemy of the cross of Christ, when you wanted nothing to do with him, that's when he died for you. And all he wants for you is for you to say, I believe. I trust. I'm, t- I'm tired of trying to work my way to God when he has already accomplished what I have tried to do, which is live perfectly. He's already done that for you. And so it's an invite to say, would you just trust in Jesus? But if you're in this room tonight and you're like, yeah, I've already trusted in Jesus, this is a challenge, honestly. Luke 10, 38 through 42, this is a challenge, one that I faced over Christmas break When it's like, man, I just want to do something. I'm so type A. I just want to serve. I just want to go. I want to be busy. And he says, no, you need to be before you do. You need to sit at my feet and listen to my teaching. That's what you need to do. And so my challenge to you is, are you going to commit? That's the word that comes to mind is just commit. Commit to time with Jesus. And yes, that means to commit to reading your Bible, to have a plan. What are you going to read? When are you going to read it? To have a place, where am I going to read it? And to have people, people that you can actually like read the Bible with and text or come together and read it at, you know, the calf, whatever you need to do, a plan, a place, people to say, we are gonna read this Bible because if this is the one thing that God has said is necessary for us, we're gonna do it. But with that, I want you to commit to community. Honestly, it's it's not even because we're doing this like kick off, jump in a connection group. I am here to tell you that Christianity is not a solo sport, all right? This is a team sport. This is a team endeavor. The word of God says that you are part of a body made up of many members. You are just an eye or a foot or a hand and you literally need other people to follow Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus alone. And so the challenge is commit, 
Are you going to commit? Are you going to commit to joining a connection group? Are you going to commit to going to church on Sunday? Are you going to commit to come to Salt Company? And I do just want to address one particular subsect of people in the room tonight, one, of, one that I was a part of my senior year of college, which is you just want to do everything. You love Jesus and you want to do everything, right? It's like I go to FCA, I go to Navigators, I go to Salt, I go to, you know, the 8 o'clock at this service and, the, you know, at this church and then the 11 o'clock at this church. I'm telling you, you are Martha. You are distracted by serving. And I'm telling you, just commit to one community. And I do not care if it's Salt Company. If you love Navigators and you're like, man, I, I love Navigators, but I just want to come and get more teaching at Salt, I'm telling you, commit to Navigators. And if you love another local church expression here and you're double dipping, I'm telling you, Go to the other local church. I'm biased. I work here. I've been a part of this church family. I believe it's one of the healthiest churches I've ever been a part of. And I'm like, man, if you're looking for a church to commit to, heck yeah, come to Veritas. We'd love to have you. It's a great place to grow in your walk with Jesus. But I do just want to tell you, commit to one group. Because we all have this tendency of if we jump into three groups, we have three groups of people that know us 33%. And we don't have a single group of people that actually knows us deep to our core. And we're deceiving ourselves. And so commit to a family of believers that can press into your life, ask you the hard questions, and actually help you follow Jesus. That's what we need to do. And so when I think about what it looks like for us to live this out, I mean, there's kind of a, like, a good vision and a negative vision with it. Where it's like, okay, if we start living this out... What's going to happen? I'm telling you, this whole, like, we value forever more than semesters, if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, it has to start now. Because I know on the front end I said, you're busy. Wait until you're 30 years old with two kids, a pregnant wife, full-time job, and more, right? It's like, man, if I couldn't prioritize Jesus as a senior in college, there's no way I'd be doing it right now. So the positive vision is you would follow Jesus forever. Honestly, if you can say, man, I'm going to commit this semester to stay close to Jesus, to stay in his word, to be around his people, you are on the trajectory to following Jesus when you're 40, 60, 80, Lord willing, but here's the negative side of it, okay? Statistics would tell me two-thirds of this room, by the time you are my age, you are not gonna be in the church. Two-thirds. That is appalling. That is a problem. And I'm just telling you, if you're not willing to do this tonight, you are fresh on your way to be part of those two-thirds. And that's just a reality, you guys, because this is not a schedule issue. This is a heart issue. It's not that you're too busy for Jesus. It's just we don't love Jesus enough. We don't see him clearly enough for who he truly is. But if we do, guys, if we, if we actually understand this God who put on flesh and came and died in our place, I'm telling you, yes, there's one thing necessary 
And it's just to be close to him. What an amazing gift. Right, when I think, man, Jesus could have said, hey, here's the one thing you need to do, and if it was go climb Mount Everest, I would do it. But that's not what he said. He says, sit at my feet, listen to my teaching. What a gift. So I'm gonna pray for us tonight. I'm gonna just invite you to bow your head. Worship team's gonna come back up and just pray that we would take Jesus at his word. Go ahead and pray with me. Father, I just thank you that you are a God uh, that speaks. You're not distant. You're not far off. You've come near. Uh, We see that most in the person work of Christ, God, that you would not just remain far off, holy in heaven, but that holiness would put on human hands, that you would become flesh, that you would dwell amongst us. Jesus, that you would live the life we couldn't and die the death that we should have so that we could be close to you. And I pray for hearts in this room tonight that are much like Martha. They're anxious, they're troubled, they're striving, they're trying to measure up. Jesus, would you be the peace that they're after? Would you help them understand that you have already measured up on their behalf so that they can rest in you? And for those of us in this room who have already said, yes, Jesus, you are my savior and you are my Lord, just give us eyes to see you more clearly for who you truly are. That you're not an angry authoritarian, you're not you know, setting these performance standards for us to meet. You're our friend. You love us so deeply that the one thing necessary is just to say, spend time with me. God, help us take that seriously. And I just pray for each college student in this room tonight, Jesus, that by the power of your spirit, you would help them to prioritize time with you tomorrow, uh, this next week, this semester, and honestly, for the rest of their lives. Because there's no greater cause to give our lives to than to just sit at your feet and know you, Jesus. So in light of who you are and what you've done, help us respond to you now in worship. We pray in your name. Amen.